could ask me to go on living like this. And for what? So that I can go back to a world where everyone I ever loved has died. Where almost everyone I meet is going to die. You're a doctor. You can help them. I can't help them. I can't cure them. All I can do is prolong their suffering. Just like you want to do to me now. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. This week, we're joined by a friend of the show, Johnny Staggs. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Yeah. We thought we'd get Johnny on because he's been such a great fan or person involved with the show. Every time we post an episode, he has something to say. So we'll preempt that and give you something to say in the episode. That sounds amazing. I was very excited when you invited me. All right, and this week we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 19, Life Signs. I don't... I completely blanked. My brain is just, like, completely gone. There is no sign of life. Yeah, I think I need to download it into a hologram or something to come up with a good joke. Well, you got to be careful. That apparently degrades after a couple days, but works perfectly fine until it does. (laughs) Anyway... This episode originally aired on the 26th of February, 1996, and was written by... It was written by Kenneth Biller and directed by Cliff Bull. Two familiar names. Just a bit. Our synopsis from TV Guide. To save a dying Vidian, the Doctor creates a holographic image of her and transfers her consciousness into it, and falls in love with her. That's true, but it almost sounds like he falls in love with her to save her as well. Well, I mean, there's an M-dash, so it's like very clearly like a okay. uh, subordinate clause. Okay. Uh, Memory Alpha says, The Doctor falls in love with the Vidian patient whose life he saved. Meanwhile, Tom Paris's insubordination starts to go out of control. Ooh, a little taste of the B-plot there. Yeah. Well, the B-plot was a little more meaty than usual this episode, I think. Okay, so, Johnny, I... Based on our, you know, pre-recording chat, you're obviously... And, of course, the fact that you are one of our solid listeners you're familiar with voyager you've seen episodes you 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 know the cast you know the score yes i remember watching voyager when it first premiered uh well then i'll you know here's a question for the both of you before rewatching this episode how well did you remember it when i i watched it twice and the first time i don't really remember much except for whenever they she gave the doctor the name and then it seemed to be a little bit more familiar. I remember the general idea of it. This is the one where the Doctor falls in love with the Vidian. I didn't remember a lot of the specifics. I remember that it was the hologram. I remember the scene in the Chevy for some reason. Uh, I did not remember Paris knocking Chakotay down at all, or any part of the, the subplot in that subplot in this episode, though. So that was surprising. As usual, I did not remember very much at all. Uh, about this episode. I mean, like we we'd even discussed a few episodes ago that I thought we were done through the DNs altogether. So obviously, I don't remember any of this. And we're still not after this episode. Oh boy! And you 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 promise that we're going to have some sort of resolution to the Paris thing soon, right? Next week, because... in fact. Oh, thank goodness. Oh boy. I mean, <laughs> it kind of came to a head this week. So yes. Yeah. It would be funny if next week they just ignore it. Be like, Paris is back on the bridge, and there's no explanation <laughs> at all. Yeah, he just walks in, shoves Ensign Baytard out of the way. It was some other Ensign this time. Yeah, I, 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 I forgot to write it down, but... Same here. I, I remember, I was annoyed that it wasn't, because it could have been Baytart. We never saw Baytart before. They could have gone with the continuity. Yeah. Well, on the... Voyager um, companion, it said that next week's episode was actually filmed first. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> apparently they actually got some star dates wrong. In next week's episode, which clearly takes place after this one because it continues plot lines from mm-hmm. leading up at one of the star dates takes place before this one. Oops. Yeah. But, you know, that all, you know, that conversation leads neatly into the opening of the episode, which is Tom Paris walking onto the bridge his uniform's a mess and he's late and he's like deliberately coming up with excuses that he knows no one will believe oh yeah like it's you know he he very clearly doesn't care anymore like 
it would be one thing if we just came in and sorry I'm late with no explanation, but like to like just basically mock the fact that he's late by coming in and like, because they all know that Ensign Wildman didn't actually give birth. Yeah. Would you believe that I was outside repainting the hole? <laughs> well, someone has to every week. <laughs> and yet they don't replace the burned out light. It's true. They, they never will. So, yeah, so we're on the bridge. Tom Paris has finally graced us with his presence. And they've detected a distress call coming from a ship with a single female Vidian life sign on board. Yeah. So apparently it's, like, mostly okay to just travel this region of space because she's, like, weeks away. Like, are the Kazon not a problem for anyone except Voyager? I'd buy that. What? Like, <laughs> nothing that we've seen in the Kazon have indicated that they're, like, pirates. Mm, okay, that's they, true. They seem to have their own, like, intersect scuffles and, like, larger power grabs. And they might, like, go up against another power, but attacking single lone ships. Okay. Nothing that we've seen has really indicated that that's their style. That's fair. I know it said that Voyager would take 22 days to get to the planet. I wonder how fast her ship was going and how long it would take her by herself. I can't think it would be much faster, certainly. My guess is slower. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. So, yeah. I guess it's it seems to me like in a region of space that's not, you know, part of one central government, it just seems like it would be unsafe to be out in an unarmed ship by yourself for weeks but maybe I'm, that's my you know uh ethnocentrism showing or ethno is the wrong word but gov- what's what's the government sent anyway it's my like <laughs> i don't know what word i'm trying to i say. don't either i can't help you i'm sorry okay yeah you're outside of my zone of control so i definitely can't help you <laughs> yeah See that that it just seems unlike. Like, I I feel like there would be pirates and whatnot. Yeah, it also feels weird to me that the Deans have not developed stasis technology. That's also weird because especially for something like this, then she could just been in a stasis pod on board her shuttle. Yeah. Also, how are young Vidian children afraid of people who are sick? Isn't everyone they know sick, or will eventually get sick? Yeah, like that, or the fact that you, when people see me, they only see the disease. Is that actually true among Vidians? Because if they all have the disease, how could they only see the disease? I wonder if it's possible that, you know, it, it, it's still communicable in some fashion. So, right. especially the young who haven't, like, who have either not, who have either not caught it or at least not fully caught it yet then obviously the idea that now like one of their playmates has caught the phage that it's like, Oh, well definitely can't play hang out with them anymore because I was really hoping to at least make it till my 10th birthday before I, I became affected by it. Hmm. Okay. I guess I could see that. But at the same time, you have to imagine that those, for those young people, their parents are probably almost certainly had the phage. Yes. And they, you know, will tell them through, I don't know, their, like the bubbles that they keep themselves in or <laughs> whatever. Because later in the episode, Dinara points out that large social gatherings are right. taboo, yeah. effectively. Which also seems weird. If you think that they all already have the phage, why would they be? Fear of it mutating and becoming even worse. Mm. Gotta watch out for Megaphage, King of Phage. Yeah. So anyway, so... They determine that her life signs are, are, are very, very weak, so they beam her directly to sickbay. They, they skipped transporter room two altogether on this one. No the controls were probably... The, the actual beaming was probably handled by transporter room two, though. That's true. It has to be involved. Yeah. So we cut to sickbay. Uh, the doctor is examining the Vidian woman. Kes is assisting, as she does. As is her want, yeah. Indeed. And he's, you know, poking around and, you know, scanning her and whatnot. And then after what seemed like longer than it should have been, especially considering the angle that it was pointing, he finally notices the blinky red light on the side of her head. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) 
like if it if it didn't blink or have any lights on it at all i'd like be willing to forgive him not noticing it right away yeah i thought the same thing about that especially cat was looking right at it yeah yeah or it's just an odd fashion choice obviously so they figure out that it's a neural interface of sorts it uh, as Kess put it are you saying it's some kind of artificial brain mm. that may have been one of our only some kind of in the whole episode there were a couple some sort of etc etc but the some kind of are the only ones that matter we did have 347 medical exams and 11 compound fractures nine of which i'm sure were uh baxters oh yeah easily i'm actually surprised that they had three appendectomies that seems like a lot yeah, you think in the future they'd just have, like, a pill to just, like... Well, and beyond that, just, like, statistically, that seems like a lot. Out of 150-something people? Yeah. Over a year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a year and a half. How many people do you know, personally, who have had appendectomies in the... Like, at all? Two. Because, like, I can count it on one hand. Yeah, sure, two. Yeah. So, is there something about the Delta Quadrant that makes appendixes flare up? I mean... Neelix is cooking. <laughs> oh! Touche. So the doctor uh, hits upon the happy idea that he would utilize this neural interface to download her brain into the hollow buffer. But it will degrade over time. I don't somehow. understand why or how. Yeah, I that makes no sense to me. It also makes no sense to me that... Yeah, because if it works perfectly fine when it first goes into the buffer, it's computer-based storage. It's not an organic storage. There shouldn't be anything degrading. Bioneural gel packs? Yeah, but the, the bioneural gel packs aren't degrading either. Unless Neelix has been making cheese again. <laughs> yeah, the idea that her program was degrading it was just silly. I, I feel like... So he, here's a way that it could have been rewritten that would hold up to, I think, more scrutiny. Op, like It would be a two-part thing. Like, part one, we cannot leave your program on for longer than 20 hours. Who cares? Pick a number. Mm-hmm. When we turn your program off, it will delete your short-term memory because we cannot fully interface your neural interface with the ship's computer and so your short-term memory is being held by the ship's computer, but it can't, like, it, it, it's read-only off of the neural interface. It can't write new patterns to it. Huh. So after 20 hours, you have to turn your program off, and when it comes back on, you're a whole new person all over again. See, I feel like we would be, if that had been how the episode was going, we would be complaining about how ridiculous that was. Wouldn't it be 51st Dates? I was also just thinking that, yeah. It would be 51st Dates. Well, yes, but this came out before Fifty First Date, so it's okay. That's true, but then that would make Adam for Adam Sandler derivative. That would be a first. <laughs> so, so interestingly, uh, Susan Dial, who plays mm-hmm. Denara Pell, has appeared on Star Trek before. She was on TNG in the episode Silicon Avatar, and she dies in the. Uh, cold open she was a woman that Riker wanted to be with Riker. and she yes she was a woman that Riker wanted to Riker yes that works uh, and she was <laughs> killed by the crystalline entity so she's two for two for or I guess zero for two for surviving Star Trek episodes well she survives this one does she yeah I had not taken that to be the actual woman I had taken that as the holographic representation reverting herself to her like diseased form to like no, that prove to herself one. okay do we get any indication at all that that's the case uh in later this season she comes back okay okay so no we don't get any indication during the episode that that was the case so i would so i, I would have been there's nothing pleasantly there's no, surprised we have no indication future. that it was not the case though the last thing that had happened between the doctor and denara was him assuring her that he loved her for her mind and her personality etc etc and, and the body was meaningless to him together yes 
but also the fact that she had been sabotaging the recovery efforts, and we don't get... Right, but he was able to stop that. I don't... He had hoped. Yeah, see, I don't... I, I just don't see that at all. Like, I didn't even, like, even if I didn't know that she comes back, like, I don't... When I first watched this episode as a kid, I didn't think that happened. I don't know. I, I had I had just assumed it was I, she had fiddled with her programming or asked Cast Two or whatever to make her appear as the diseased version. Okay, Johnny, be the tiebreaker. I, I thought it was her, and it was just showing the doctor keeping his word about he was in love with her and not the appearance. And you thought it was really her and not the hol- not a hologram, really, right? Yeah, both times I watched it this yeah. week, I thought it was really her. I never even thought it would be the hologram. Hmm. Okay. And yes, obviously, from the episode standpoint, especially knowing that the character herself returns later, yeah, uh, it was really her. I mean, I believe you. I'm just telling you what my impression of the scene was. Fair enough. Anyway, we'll get to that in a bit. So yeah, so they create the holographic version of her and she wakes up or whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, comes online. Well, he was shaking her to wake up. Yeah, he didn't yell at her this though. Not like uh, <laughs> Tom Ferris. Yeah, he uh, he you know he explains what he has done, and she's just in a in a state. She hadn't seen what she looked like undiseased in so long. She was just thrown off. Also, plus the idea of holograms apparently were confusing to her. Yeah, I mean it's a bit of a adjustment. Yeah, and the doctor points out that it this idea to turn her into a hologram would not have occurred to just any physician. No, it would not. And see, the fact that the doctor exists without degrading, like, just makes me, like, really how... But anyway. Yes. <laughs> Especially as he points out, he's his brain is larger than a real person's brain. 50 million gigaquads. Yes. And didn't he say his program would be as much more complicated for the memory bank, or yeah, mm-hmm. for the memory bank, so her little program wouldn't be that hard, you know, wouldn't be. Yep. Yeah. And yet hers is going to degrade in a few days because reasons. Well, you know, you got to add some tension into the scenario. Mm, I suppose. When y'all was watching that part where they he was creating her, you know, saying adding the bones and the skin and everything, mm-hmm. what did y'all think of that CGI for 1996? Pretty darn good. Yeah, really not bad. The bones especially looked great. Like, once he added the organs, the organs looked more CGI than the bones. Like, when it was just the skeleton lying there, it looked perfectly real to me. Yeah, I was impressed with that. And I kept thinking, you know, this is TV. And then in the next year, I was thinking of that scene in The Fifth Element where they were recreating yep. Lilu, mm-hmm. and just, you know, just how similar it looked. And one was TV budget a year earlier, and one was, you know, more mm-hmm. high-budget yeah. movie. Fifth Element had a slightly higher budget than Star Trek. Just yeah. a little bit. No, I was also thinking about The Fifth Element when that scene happened. Denara Pell multipass. <laughs> <laughs> so... So they, uh, during this whole course, the doctor also points out that he does not have a name. So we're back to this again. <laughs> we are always back to this. Not always. We didn't touch on this at all last episode. Wait, did the doctor appear last episode? Wait, we did touch in this last episode. No, was that or that two two episodes ago? We touched two episodes ago. Two episodes ago. Yeah, yeah, sure. But last episode was Death Wish. The doctor appears at the end of Death Wish when after. Quinn has taken the yes, hemlock. Yes, yes, the, the, the no-gatch hemlock. Yes. So what we see next is the doctor having a conversation with Torres where he says, listen, it's going to be super easy. I'll just drill a hole in your skull and then pull out a part of your brain. What is this, the Dark Ages? <laughs> and Torres is having none of this. No. No, she is not. Uh, and then Dinara appears because she figures out that what Torres is angry about is her. And they talk for a minute, and Torres goes from pissed to almost pleasant very quickly. Yes. As soon as Tanara walks in, Torres like sits down immediately, like in like a half of a huff. And I don't know why she sat down. Like that felt like a weirdly submissive thing for Torres to do. Mm-hmm. A little bit. And she, yeah. yeah, she came around to it, and she said, "Okay, I'll go get on a surgical gown." We don't actually see the surgery, which okay, fine. I mean, it's not really the. It's not part of the point of the whole episode, which is mm-hmm. 
the doctor's program adapting and growing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I don't think that we're missing anything by not watching him perform surgery on Bellana. But we cut to we cut to the after surgery where he has just finished implanting the Klingon brain bit into the Vidian brain. And the basic gist of the conversation is the doctor saying, I'm the best. Not only am I the best, I'm so much the best that I'm the best of everybody who's ever been the best. Huh. And Dinara saying, you are, you are the best. It's a real shame her program is degrading. I feel like the doctor could, would, no, no, you know what? Now I know why her program's degrading. Because it's all, like, yeah, like the longer she's around, the more of the doctor's program of the ego subroutine is going to keep growing and taking over all of the hollow emitter space. Oh, you might be onto something. Yeah, I figured it out. I cracked it. And just when you thought the doctor's ego couldn't get bigger. <laughs> they, have to, they have to have a whole second ship just to house it. Well, we'll have that later this season, too. <laughs> okay. There was a name drop in this scene, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Were you talking about Dr. McCoy? I believe so, yes. And at first, yes. I thought he was referencing Spock's brain. I was wondering about that, too. But the year doesn't match up. The year is pre-toss, so uh, it was something else that McCoy had done, apparently. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering that, too. I didn't think about looking at the star date, or the year. Because I think the year he said was 2253. Yes. And, yeah, it was the 2260s was TOS, so it doesn't match up. Well, maybe the writers were referencing Spock's brain and just got the year wrong. I... That's they possible? get the star date wrong in the very next episode. Yeah, but I feel like if you're going to specifically reference an episode of the original series, you would get the details right. Mm. Also, it's weird that they would reference... It It seems unlikely that they would reference Spock's brain, considering how infamous Spock's brain is. I'll take your word for it. I haven't seen TOS. I don't hate it, but it's not great. Fair enough. It has the... It has the line, the memorable line, brain and brain. What is brain? I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> yeah, really. The other part about that that kind of it made me think of um, Discovery was whenever they talked about the ganglia. You know, that I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. My first thought was Saru. <laughs> sure. Hmm. No, I didn't jump to that at all. But we do jump to sh- say Shandreen. Yes. We do cut to Shay Shay Sandrine. Uh, The doctor's talking to her at the table, and Neelix comes over and is perfectly pleasant, actually. Yeah. Neelix has been more or less fine lately, ever Mm -hmm. since he got choked out by Tuvok. (laughs) Yes. Yes. If that's a real hollow program that everyone has access to, like we kind of figure, hope, dream that it is, uh, you have to imagine that Neelix himself like, will review the logs periodically, like, oh, what have they done to me this time? Oh, God. That makes it even worse, but yeah, of course he would. <laughs> <laughs> He's self-appointed morale officer. He has to know what's keeping the crew, like, you know, like, what, like, what ir- like what's irritating this... the crew this week. Or, what? It- and he has certainly has to see what the number one stress reliever for the crew is, and that's, you know, murdering him. <laughs> so Neelix comes over, introducing himself and Denara is a little anxious because she's not used to seeing people talk to her like she's not diseased well she's also not used to the you know the social gatherings yeah right because that's not a thing either yeah yeah she talked about she's not used to the compassion so you know like the leaders seem to have forgotten about the compassion of the people so Mm -hmm. that would have to be a difficult culture to be part of yeah around it all the time and then just to say fun for maybe the first time since she was seven years old yeah it, it, it is a little weird i mean obviously they don't have holographic technology or anything like that but just the idea that they don't that you know their, their whole life is spent just trying to see how long they can last against the disease and every spare moment needs to be dedicated towards that purpose and they can't possibly ever take a couple hours a week to watch a movie or read a book or play a game or anything like that. You know, like there's like no diversions of their society, which is strange. 
Yeah. Because, honestly, that, like, what is the point of living if that's all you're doing? Uh, yeah, they've been dealing with this disease for hundreds of years. We, we you know, we've been told this repeatedly. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like, in the same way that what I had said earlier about the fact that you know, it's very clearly a foregone conclusion that everyone in the society is going to catch the phage eventually. And that's what's going to kill them. You have to, like, you have to, like, it just feels weird that at no point no one was like, okay, listen. Yes, I'm working on doing whatever I can to see if maybe we can find a cure. But me taking an hour out of my day to not work on it is not going to be the difference between cracking this nut or not. Yeah. Probably not. And, I mean, obviously, a different... We have to. We have to also realize that these are not humans. They may do things completely differently, and just because we humans generally need to decompress and recreate, that doesn't necessarily mean that Vidians need to at the same level that we do. But what do you think she was going to be doing for that at least twenty-two days by herself in the shuttle? Yeah, I know, right? She said she was a a, a hematologist, I guess. So she's just like running blood tests the whole time or something maybe the Deans meditate a lot mm. i don't know we don't get a whole lot of information about the Dean culture other than that people are not born with the disease they acquire it once they have it it is currently uncurable they will happily some will happily harvest other people's organs just willy-nilly and they don't do social gatherings so that's very interesting with the they're not born with it but they'll catch it and it's incurable i i'm willing to believe the idea of they've had this disease for hundreds of years and they haven't figured out how to cure it i'm less willing to believe that they haven't figured out how it's spread and a way to you know like protect the next generation from it yeah because hmm. if you can find out how it's spread, then that the next step is preventing that from happening. True. Like, even if it meant effectively, as soon as someone is born, like, shipping them off so they can be completely decontaminated and then put onto a brand new fresh colony. Yeah, even if that means sending them off to some other alien species, what altogether to raise up to raise the children yeah that's a good point i had not considered that so while they're there in shea sandrine a random hollow alien with a mustache the mustache looked really bad on him he is credited simply as gigolo (laughs) okay (laughs) he came over uh, to try to get dinar to come dance with him and points out the doctor can't dance and that's why the doctor is jealous or angry or whatever you are just jealous because you cannot dance. And I'm just wondering why the doctor just like close his eyes for 30 seconds and download a dancing subroutine and be like, haha, I'll show you, mustache gigolo. Yeah, you'd think that could certainly happen. I, uh, yes, because he is o- the only, other than the crew and Dinar, he's the only non-regular with a speaking role, so he has a credit. But, oh, the gigolo. I thought yeah. we were talking about, talking about the doctor. <laughs> he's part of the crew. <laughs> Well, because I wonder where your sentence was going until you said... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But Denara is definitely not comfortable, and they go back to sickbay. Mm-hmm. And that's when we can definitely feel that there's some tension in the air. Did you guys, like, whenever they go back to sickbay and the doctor's like, well, you can use my computer and look at all this stuff. Did y'all think they was giving, a, giving her a little bit too much? Like, they didn't really know her. Like, oh, here's my computer... Feel free. I know they could probably watch her and everything, but, you know, they don't know how, what kind of a Dean she is, you know, is she one that would, you know, if she got better. So, my, like, headcanon, I don't know if they actually intended this, but my headcanon on this is that the doctor had set it up so that she could only access the medical stuff. Right. I, I don't know. It just seemed like they was trusting her just immediately as soon as she woke up, like, you know. Not if it was, like, another Vidian, like the one that stole Nihilus's lung, you know, that came mm-hmm. on the ship. True. Yeah. I don't know. Another thing to consider is that 
although Vidian medical technology is more advanced than Starfleet's, that doesn't mean that they know literally everything about literally everything involving medicine. Mm-hmm. So opening up even just medical information to her, you know, Johnny's right. Like without knowing what kind of person she is, like they could be feeding the Vidians all new and exciting ways to harvest organs from unsuspecting victims. I mean, like she, she'd be going through awesome. like, oh, hey, look, you know, Talaxian spleens are superb and bullion, I don't know, kidneys are top notch or anything like that. Hmm. I mean, possibly, but I feel like we've already determined that when it comes to organ harvesting and organ implantation, they're light years ahead of uh, the Starfleet tech. 70,000, in fact. Mm. And now is when the doctor gets a name. Yes, Schmulls. Was it Schmulls? Schmulls. Schmulls. That was it. It was her uncle's name. Mm. Which is better, Schmulls or Schweitzer? Schweitzer. Yes. They're both better than Joe. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, Thad, you may remember when Voyager was first being promoted before it aired. Yep. Was the doctor not announced as Zimmerman before they he was. You know, made it? Okay, that's what I was thinking. Uh that was actually Robert Picardo's idea very late in production to not give him a name instead. Okay. In fact, um I was recently looking at uh Star Trek Communicator magazine from December nineteen ninety four. It has a meet the crew feature. Now, this is like a month before Voyager airs. And Robert, they list Robert Ricardo as Doc Zimmerman. So, yeah, it was very late. Okay. Did they ever say how long they expected that to last or him not having a name? I don't know. I think they were, they were planning to just use that as his name. Okay. Uh, and, in fact, the first couple Voyager tie-in novels also refer to him as Doc Zimmerman. Okay. Because they were written before the show came out. Yeah, I think you like shared that picture on, on Twitter or something? I did, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I was going through magazines. and Honestly, the most surprising thing in that particular magazine was the advertisement for... Uh, if you want this awesome screensaver that we have an advertisement in a magazine for, call <laughs> this number and we'll mail it to you on a disc. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, wow, this was 1994. <laughs> was that the one? Because I've comment on one. It was like the 800 number was 1-800-TRUE-FAN. Yes, it was. It was 1-800-TRUE-FAN. Because <laughs> I thought, well, I guess I wasn't the true enough fan back in 1994. <laughs> Johnny, what did you think of Paris and Chakotay's confrontation in the mess hall? Well, it came out of nowhere, and um, and it just reminded me of, it just seems like, until I realized what was going on, it just seemed like it was forced conflict. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the, um, the episode where it was um, Chakotay and Tuvok, you know, supposedly had this grudge against each other a few Twisted. episodes ago. Twisted. That's it. I couldn't think of it. Um, and I was like, is this, it, it kind of reminded me of that situation. That's how I felt about this Paris uh, being disillusioned thread that's been going on for the last few weeks. It seems, even though, obviously, it's now been going on for the past few weeks, it still feels like it's out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. It just, it, it, it's been super weird watching all of this, and I look forward to next week when it finally gets resolved. Yes, there is definitely a resolution next week. But Better be good. Although... Interestingly, next week is not the episode resolutions. That's much later in the season. Okay. So the so the confrontation between the two of them, you know, Chakotay comes up and he seems amicable. Yeah. Like he want he honestly wants to know what's eating Tom. So Chakotay sits down with Paris to you just find out like what's going on with him. I mean, you know, he's senior member of the bridge. He's mm-hmm. also like one of 150 people on the crew, and it would be best if it'd be. You know, if they didn't have, especially a senior member, but any member just making a nuisance of themselves and being generally just like a terrible crew member. Yeah. And Paris gives Chakotay a piece of his mind. Oh, does he ever? Yeah. Shouts a little bit, asks to be excused, and then just sort of, you know, walks off in a huff. Mm hmm. And Chakotay, I thought Chakotay was really good when he was like, You're excused, Mr. Paris, or. Yeah. Yeah, because he could have said, no, we're not done here. But 
That would have gotten awkward since they were in the middle of the mess hall. Chakotay's punched someone in the mess hall before. That's true, he has. Yeah, I was thinking of that uh, with the marquee. Yeah. So speaking of Chakotay punching the marquee. Yes. Our next scene is with our most punchable Maquis member, Jonas. Oh my, yes. And he's not going to sabotage Voyager without talking to Seska. That feels like a weird and arbitrary line for him to draw. Yes. I mean, I guess I guess it does make a little bit of sense. I mean, he lives on Voyager, so it's akin to someone saying, well, next we, now we just need you to start a small fire inside your house. But at the end of the day, why is he talking to the case on at all what is he hoping to get out of this yeah we never have <laughs> learned his motivation other than just maybe next week we find out that seska has some sort of like leverage on him or something i can't imagine what it would be other like than that he reached out to them because he thinks that voyager needs to do more like because this happened during alliances but like it was weird when he did it then and it's continued to be weird because I'm really not sure what he's hoping to get out of his... Like, he's giving them information, but what is he hoping they'll give him in return? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I was wondering if maybe, like, Seska has leverage on him or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We'll find out next week. Hopefully. Maybe. I don't think we will. I think I'm pinning too many hopes on next week's episode. I feel like, it, like I needed to answer, like, every question I've had about Voyager so far. <laughs> You know, like, I feel like I feel like I need next week's episode to tell me, like, exactly how big is the shuttle bay? Like, where Maybe are they should. getting these extra torpedoes from? I think we'll have to launch an investigation on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, after Paris gets up and leaves mm-hmm. the mess hall, yes, we get the, yeah, sorry, we have the, we have Jonas talking to, not yet, Jonas talking to the Kazon, and then we go back to the sick bay, and the Kess tells the doctor that he's in love romance is not part of my programming and if we were sure already we weren't sure already that the doctor wasn't a sociopath this is where we know it because he can learn yeah yeah so for people who didn't don't pay attention to episode titles (laughs) because this has been a, a continuing joke we've made a couple times back in i don't even remember what episode it was now oh it was meld Yes. We named the episode Our Sociopaths Sentient because that came up in conversation. That's the joke, just in case, just for like you two people out there who had no idea what I was just talking about. <laughs> Johnny, do you pay attention to the episode titles? Uh, I do whenever I start downloading it and I'm, uh, I sit there and I think, okay, where is this going to come in at? In that <laughs> but this scene right here, and even the first scene where they first, in the beginning... I really love the Doctor and Kess with in it, with each other in, in this episode. Yes. It just, the way, it, you just saw, even before with Dinara, you just see a lot of growth with the Doctor compared to the way that he was complimenting Kess on her diagnosis, what to do for Dinara. He said, it's probably too late, but great diagnosis. You know, I love that. And just the way that she was talking with him during this scene right here about being in love and everything and how is the you know if the other person reciprocates it's just the most wonderful feeling i really like their scenes together yes from the beginning kes has treated the doctor like a person and in fact she was the only one to do so in the beginning oh yeah i I, i've been a fan of the kes doctor dynamic from 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 the get-go so it's nice to see that he is continuing to grow Mm mm-hmm and that she's still there prodding him along. Yes. Stuart, I don't know. I know you probably don't know. I know I've told Thad before. When I became, um, before Voyager came on the air, there was a TV show called Phenom. I don't know if you ever heard of it or not. It lasted one season on ABC. We talked about it uh, s- several weeks ago okay. on, yeah, this yeah, ep- I do on remember. the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do remember that now. I was doing paperwork, and I was like, I, I, I watched that show, and I was and Jennifer Lean. I had a crush on in that show. So whenever she got to be on Voyager, I didn't care what her character was going to be. I knew I was going to love Kess. <laughs> and being from a small town with no, like when it was first aired, no computer, I didn't really know anything. I did not realize till later that Kess was not a loved character on the show. And like I say, it was probably just my... Just because I already, you know, liked the actress and something else, but you know, I was I liked Cass from the beginning. 
So watching the early episodes of Voyager just brings back all those. So when I was a kid watching Voyager, in I had no strong feelings one way or the other about Kess. Uh, later, like on a rewatch in my early 20s, I remember not liking Kess at all. Um, but I don't understand where that came from now because I do like Kess. So yeah, it's sort of a interesting thing. Yeah, I really can't remember what my feelings for what 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 my feelings about Kess were when I was initially watching this show. But I do know that before we started this rewatch, that the general consensus that was that Kess was, you know, ah, wow, Kess. Maybe it's because Seven of Nine is such an interesting character that. That that sort of overshadows Kess, and that could be. I just I, I tweeted late last year, early this year. Like I found some pictures. I just put appreciation of Kess, just a little tweet, and I had so many people like, "Why? There's nothing about her to like." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I love Kess." <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a big fan. I especially enjoy the dynamic between her and the Doctor. Yeah, and, and as long as we don't see weird creepiness with Neelix, which is mostly over now. Yes, thankfully most of the Neelix creepiness has passed us by, which is very, very good. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, if, if it was still going on, then Kess's role as matchmaker between the Doctor and Tanara would feel really bad. Because it would be like, you're in a dysfunctional, abusive relationship. What the hell do you know? But no, we haven't seen much of the Neelix-Kess relationship recently, but I'm assuming it's not creepy. I'm hoping it's not creepy. Yeah, that's that's probably a better way to say it. Yeah. So, speaking of matchmaking, mm-hmm. uh, what we have next is the doctor is examining Dinara's physical form. And he's just, you know, going through his routine and like, scanning this and scanning that. And, oh, by the way, I'm romantically attracted to you, and I wonder if you want to do something about that. Just, just like, in the exact same, like, cadence and tone of voice and delivery and everything. It was an interesting moment. The expression on Kess's face was great. Yes. Yes, it was. And she th- she wants to keep it professional. So the doctor turns to the one person that he feels can help him most in this scenario, Tom he, Paris. Because he must have been rejected many times. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even when despondent, the doctor's sass comes through. Yes. And Tom Paris gives her some advice, having, yes, been rejected many times. And tells him that the first time is always the hardest. I mean, he's not wrong. I love how he just went around like, oh, over time, it'll get better. Until you hear a song that reminds you of her or this. No, it never goes away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have some girl talk between Kess and Pell. Mm -hmm. And we find that she does really like the Doctor. So when the Doctor is talking to Paris... He says he can't go into details because of doctor-patient confidentiality, which brings up a big point for me. Does the Federation not have an ethical code re- prohibiting physicians from being involved with their patients? Well, is the holographic Denara technically his patient? Oh, that's... that is... Uh, real technicality there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm... I still feel like this would count. No, no, no. It it, it almost certainly would. Yes, but <laughs> yeah, it, it it's like a, it's like Nightingale syndrome in reverse. I'm not sure what that is. Nightingale syndrome is when a patient uh, develops uh, a, rom- oh, a yeah, yeah, an attachment yeah. to whoever it is that like helped heal them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there definitely are ethical guidelines in place for that. Like. Here in the in the U.S. at least, doctors cannot get involved with a patient that they're treating. Right. Would that be the same for even the holographic doctor? Would that even would they have any kind of? It should. Well, I know it should, but you know, whenever they was writing the rules, they even would they even have thought of you know that? Well, there's a whole lot they wouldn't have thought of, but I know yeah. certainly if we follow the spirit of the law. Right. Well, uh, you know, well, the doctor himself says, you know, he's running a self-diagnostic because he's been noticing that he's a, been experiencing issues performing his functions to what he considers to be his optimal efficiency. Yeah. So he's he's being affected by what's happening and he doesn't know how to cope with it because he's never experienced it before, which is why he's having trouble coping with it. But 
I feel like using his patient to explore this new burgeoning aspect of his personality is the wrong way to go and yeah. almost certainly in violation of ethical guidelines yeah that's yeah like explore it all you want but not with your patient right but since we're just ignoring that this episode <laughs> we oh back, yeah no <laughs> we come back to we come back to pell and cast talking and then a, a cunning plan is hatched before we go to the that scene with Pale and Cass, mm-hmm. did y'all notice what um, Pale was doing, Denara was doing before Cass entered the room? Oh, was she injecting the stuff in her? No. She was just looking at her hands. That's all she was doing. Yeah. Was just looking at her hands. And little details like that really impressed me with this episode that, you know, her just sitting there looking at her hands makes her so happy because she you know okay i thought maybe this was a foreshadowing of the later no 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 um it's something i'm going to talk about later Mm -hmm. with another it kind of to me it connects to another scene later on but just that one like brief second of a scene um just on my second viewing i just kind of noticed that look you know just the way she was just looking at her hands just meant a lot okay yeah no i i I hadn't even noticed that, but yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, I just just scrubbed through the video there. Yeah, she's just flexing at her hand, flexing her hands, looking at them, even kind of smelling them for a second. I don't know, just this. It was just a little detail that was could have been you know nothing, but to me, it just says a lot about her character and her gratefulness of what the doctor has done for her. Oh yeah, because. I mean, because that was the first thing she looked at when she woke up, and that's how she knew that something was different when she was... Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that that's a very good detail that I had completely missed until you pointed that out, Johnny. Yeah. Nice call-out. I was I was more focused on her just being kind of, like, like fidgety and, like, anxious, waiting for the doctor to come back. I, I had noticed her hands, but I, I just, like, chalked it up to part of the fidgetiness. But, yeah, so solid call-out. Oh, thank you. So have either of you ever parked... No. No. Is that a thing that, like, people do anymore? I think it's a th- it's a thing that people did back when 57 Chevys were new. So in 57? <laughs> or or was it 56? Did, did they do that yet? Or? Oh, I have no idea. Who cares? Anyway. Yeah. That's not a thing that people do anymore, no. I don't know, though. I don't, uh, I mean, maybe, I don't have as much of an active love life. Maybe if I did, I would be parking more. I don't know. Even when I've had an active love life, I've never parked. Johnny, you're married. Do you park? No. (laughs) And when we were just dating, we did not go parking. (laughs) Oh, man, it sounds like we're using this as a euphemism for something else, but we're really not. Not really. Oh, what you think they were? You think that they didn't originally use it as a euphemism? Oh, they did, but Everyone. the doctor, the doctor, like means it literally. Yes. Well, no, he 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 just doesn't know that it's a euphemism. Yeah. So interestingly, the writers, I guess you could say it's the writers' head canon. The writers uh, didn't like actually say it, but it was like their intention that after the kiss, uh, that the car was a rockin'. Oh jeez! How did you guys rewatch this episode? Oh yeah, that's a very good point that I was going to bring up too. Oh, I'm sorry, I stepped on your. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> you can say it. It's fine. I watched it on DVD. I did too. Netflix. So you heard a different song. But if you had the subtitles on, you got our song. Yep. No, I had turned the subtitles off halfway through because they kept truncating too much stuff. So, in the original broadcast, and on Netflix, it's one song. But on the DVD, it's another song, because music rights. Uh, On Netflix, it was Only Have Eyes for You. On DVD, it's My Prayer. And I was curious, Hmm. I went on Hulu and CBS All Access, and they both have I Only Have Eyes for You as well. So, this Hmm. is not the only time we have weirdness like that. Uh, Because we talked about this in Alliances, on Netflix, or did we talk about this on Alliances? Oh, I think Maybe. we did. Yeah. Say it and I'll know for sure. On Netflix, there's a trumpet fanfare when the Kazon walk in. We did not talk about no, this. No, no, not on Netflix. On Amazon Prime, there's a trumpet fanfare when the Kazon walk in. It's not on Netflix, though. And it's not on the DVD. Wild. 
Yes. Huh. I just thought it was funny on the Netflix. The subtitle says "My Prayer" is on the is in the subtitles. It's the one that comes on, but it's I only have eyes for you. Yeah, they probably just <laughs> used the DVD subtitles for the stream. Right. So, speaking of music choices, just because I'm I don't know if I would remember to mention this once we get to the end of the episode, uh, a friend of of ours, Thad, mm-hmm. uh, pointed out this was probably a month or so ago now and i don't know if he's a listener to our show uh i know that his partner is still not sarah uh but he had pointed out on facebook that he felt that the song at the end that the doctor and dinara dance to sounds an awful lot like a slowed down version of guile's theme from street fighter huh i missed that just mentioning music made me think of it i like i missed that thing so i'm I I have never played Street Fighter, so I don't even. I barely it. played Street Fighter, but I pulled I pulled up a clip of it on YouTube real quick, and I mean, yeah, a little. But that is the sort of thing that that friend would notice. Oh no, definitely would. So right about now is when I stopped watching the second time around, so I could <laughs> wrap things yes. up and get ready to start recording. So take it away, Thad and Johnny. What happens after they park? Well. Yeah, so the writers intended for them to have consummated their love. Uh, and this came out much later in an interview with because they didn't tell Robert Picardo about this until the fourth season. It would have been weird to see the Doctor post-coitus. Yeah. Would he glow? <laughs> he would absolutely... Oh, yeah, he'd, like, <laughs> seriously glow. He'd be like... He would probably actually be floating. <laughs> I've downloaded detailed files on the mating practices of over 3,000 species. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you would definitely be able to tell. He there. Yeah, it would be one of those ridiculous scenes of him, like, just walking around sick bay with a huge smile on his face, humming or something. But anyway, uh, at this point, Paris comes onto the bridge 10 minutes late for his duty shift, and we, we find out that Chakotay has put... A replacement in. Mr. Grimes. We don't even know if he's an ensign or a lieutenant or a commander. He's probably not a commander. Jacoby just grabbed the first person out of the hall. Yeah. It's probably not even a con officer. (laughs) Just sit here and push buttons. I put the ship on autopilot anyway. And Paris tries to appeal to Janeway, and Janeway's like, nope, Jacoby has discretion in this, which is how this works. The XO makes staffing decisions. Uh, We've seen that on Star Trek before. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's how, like, naval vessels work, too. So then uh, Chakotay just puts his his hand on Tom's shoulder to say, you know, leave the bridge and come back when you're ready, when you're ready to actually work. And Paris strongly overreacts and throws Chakotay to the floor. Yeah, when watching that scene, it didn't seem like he had pushed Chakotay that hard, but I guess if Chakotay was like mid-step or something yeah. and just off balance. like. But I mean, then again, like, you think back to Threshold, when yes. you know, Sal- you know, Salamander Paris body checks Janeway and she's out cold for minutes. It's like, maybe the Voyager crew is just surprisingly fragile. Or maybe Paris works out with Baxter. Uh. I love the look on Chakotay's face when he got up, like, looking at Janeway, like, see, I told you. Look at what a nuisance he is. It's almost like tattling on your bigger brother or little brother or something. And Janeway tells Tuvok to take Paris to the brig. Makes sense. It actually doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't, why would she, why would she tell Tuvok to escort him personally? Why wouldn't she tell Tuvok, have Mr. Paris taken to the brig? Because you see Tuvok walk away from his station, uh, another... Yellow shoulder takes his place. Wouldn't it have made more sense for Tuvok's underling to take Paris to the brig? Well, if Paris is still in a fighting mood, Tuvok is physically stronger. That's true. And he can always just nerve pinch him, I Mm. I suppose. Okay. And, it I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, Paris just assaulted, you know, the second in command on the ship. It kind of, you know, to a certain, you know, that sort of crime deserves the head of security. All right. But yes, it certainly makes sense to send Paris to the brig because, yes, you just assaulted a uh, superior officer. That's that's not an okay thing to do. Well, I mean, assaulting anyone, but especially a superior officer. Yeah. And Harry Kim is 
very studiously looking at his console. And then what happens? Then we have Seska telling Jonas to sabotage the ship, and because it's Seska doing it, he might actually do it. Yeah, I think she also, like, tells him exactly how to sabotage the ship, because before it was just sort of like, we want you to sabotage the warp reactor in some way. And she then gave him basically, like, specific instructions on how to do it. So, something that I want to briefly touch on. Presumably, all of Voyager's communications would be digital. I highly doubt subspace transmissions are analog. Okay. Why is there static? Oh, because it was the 90s and people expect static? <sighs> Probably. Well, we went over the air with a digital antenna a few years ago, and it, I mean, it was static, but it was not very clear. Right, well, that would look completely different. Then you get, like, the right. weird pixelation and artifacting, and it wouldn't look like static. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't look like static, but it wouldn't be, it wasn't, let's just say we went back to cable after three months, so. <laughs> That's how they get you. So, Seska tells Jonas how to sabotage the ship, and is telling him where to meet them and all that, so that will probably come to a head soon. So would that be, like, the C plot, or would that be, like, B plot 2? That's definitely, I mean, uh, that that's, like, the C plot. It, it, it's been a, it, it's a recurring through line c plot over multiple episodes much like the plot is yes although although, i mean sometimes i think that tom paris's unraveling is like that's the c plot and jonas gets relegated to the d plot but like one way or another like both you know both paris unraveling and jonas being a you know scumbag are you know they're subordinate plots oh yes that actually continue from one episode to the next, unlike most of the major plot points. <laughs> yes. So then we go back to sickbay, and mm-hmm. we're about to do the transfer of the consciousness back, but we find out that the brain is not doing so well. And uh, it's because at first the doctor thinks that Kess didn't administer the, administer the servaline that he had asked. Servaline is a one and done, by the way. Excellent. I, w- I was really hoping we were not going to get through a whole episode without it. By the way, we do have... Uh, earlier in the episode, Kess had suggested inaprovaline, and the doctor mm-hmm. said that wouldn't work because the brain was too far gone. Uh, that is has been used at multiple episodes of multiple different Star Treks as a neural stimulant. So that one's, you know, a continuous cool. thing there. So that was cool. And we find out that there are elevated levels of nitoxinol. Which, I mean, it has toxin in the name, so it can't be good. Yeah, I think this is... Yeah, so so the Doctor... It, it's not like he immediately jumps to say that Kess screwed up. It's just that it was like, well... The Doctor's like, well, I know that I didn't. You're my assistant. I tasked you with administering the medication. Yeah, and he's not, like, mean to her or anything. Uh, yeah, it's not no, like, he's, like he's you know, yelling, you did this, or anything like that. Yeah, it, it was yeah, like, a perfectly logical suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and even when he says like, "Are you sure that you didn't accidentally give her nitoxinol instead of serpaline?" She's yeah. She says, "I'm like, pretty it, sure I didn't." Yeah, no, but but even then, it wasn't like accusatory. No, it wasn't. Yeah. So we do find out oh, nitoxinol is also a one and done, and all we know about it, according to Memory Alpha, is it's a drug that causes tissue transplant rejection, like. I Thank feel you. like it has to have another use. Otherwise, why would they have it at all? Well, yeah, because I, I wonder, like, what are the scenarios where you would want the body to reject transplanted I'm, tissue? I'm not thinking I, I'm sure they're... <laughs> if a crew member had something grafted onto them forcibly by some other culture, then maybe you'd want to, like, speed up the rejection process instead like, of... Really? Using surgery? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe it also is really great for, like, male pattern baldness. I don't know. Mm. But the anyway. doctor should give himself some injections of that. Oh. I feel like he has less hair now than when the show started. Like, I think he had more hair on the top of his head at the beginning of the series. I don't know. I'll have to double check. Be weird for a hologram to lose hair. Yes. Well, we find out that it was actually Denara all the lo- all along because she doesn't want to go back into her diseased body. 
Yes. And as I recall, this is when we get um, a bit of a row between her and the doctor. Mm-hmm. He asks Kess, well, she asks Kess to leave the room, and she does. Yeah. And she doesn't believe the doctor could ever love her when she's diseased, because why would anyone? And we come back to, I still feel like if there are species that has been under this disease for hundreds of years, that they would have gotten over some of the stigma of having a disease. Well, would it also not just be like... To her, talk about, you know, no compassion or anything. Now that she's experienced, you know, life without the disease, you know, she's had a few days without it. That's what I was taking it at. Yeah. There's that, you know, too. She, That's a big thing, too. And I can I can totally understand that. You know. But the doctor convinces her to... That it is worth living. Especially because she would only live another couple days. Somehow. Uh... <laughs> It, she, it is worth living a continued existence in her diseased body, and that, and that he personally will still love her regardless of what she looks like. And this is what I was talking about with the hands things earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I you know, it, this thing kind of got me was I was also thinking that of would she be able to love herself now that she's lived without the disease for a few days? You know, she's experienced it. Um, I look at it as I used to work at this um, youth residential facility and we would always talk about how the kids are there all the time. They're in blue jeans, you know, tennis shoes and ragged shirts and everything. But whenever we take them out, we, you know, try to get them really dressed up and they act different because of the way that they're dressed and they're in a different environment. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that she's got over, you know, saw that, when she gets back in there and then she's got the disease, she is suffering. She is going to be different again. You know, it's, you know, it's, she's putting back on the old clothes that she's no longer Cinderella, basically. You know, the clock struck midnight. She's back to on her hands and knees, you know, cleaning the cleaning the stepmother's, you know, floors and everything and that's what kind of the whole thing i was hoping it was going to go into when she said i'd rather have two days like this instead of suffering instead of you know Mm -hmm. with this way i feel like i can be loved like this because i feel good about myself if i go back to that i'm not going to feel the same as i feel now with you does that make sense yeah it does so, and it kind of got to the point where we was talking about with the dance, you know, I noticed Denard had no line of dialogue. I don't even for sure, I'm trying to remember now the doctor, but I just noticed Denard never spoke whenever she came in. The doctor um, didn't speak either. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was just more... Yeah, they just danced the because the doctor okay. apparently added that to his program. Right. But um, that was just the whole thing I was getting from this. And I was hoping it would touch on a little bit more was, like I say, I just thought back, Whenever you're dressed up to a wedding, you don't feel the same way as when you're on the beach dressed up. You know, you you have a it's a difference in your way you act. And I just feel like that could be the same for her when she's back in her body that's dying on her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. I because mean, it turned into the doctor saying that he would love her regardless. But yes, I could definitely see that personally on her own. Yeah. Why would she want to go back to? A body that's like that when she has this perfect holo- holographic body. I can I can definitely see that. And then they didn't go there, and I can understand the doctor saying, you know, you're a, you are a doctor. You're you know you're you're going to heal people. You know that's you know what you do. But you know she just got five days or whatever of paradise. Why would you want to go back to hell? You know when you've experienced what your life probably should have been if it if the fate you know would have been if the phage didn't happen yeah yeah i mean that's that makes a lot of sense given you know how the conversation between her and the doctor played out and i i don't know have you ever seen the movie still magnolias yes um it reminded me a lot of that scene between julia roberts and sally fields where they found out Julie Roberts was pregnant and, you know, Sally Fields was like, oh, this is going to kill you. This is going to kill you. And she's like, I'd rather have one week of happiness as a mom than never to experience that at all. I don't know, just yeah. weird things that went through my mind. 
Yeah, no, I can see that. But yeah, you're you're right. That definitely makes a lot of sense, and it would have made sense for them to mention that in this episode. <laughs> so yeah, no, I can definitely I can definitely get on board that. So I think at this point we've talked about the entire episode of this because we just discussed what happened at the very end to now. So yeah, that was pretty much all of it. Yeah, and at the end of the synopsis and the companion. It says she returns to her body and shares a tender dance with the doctor on the summary. Yeah. Sorry, Stuart. I never said either y'all were wrong. No, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm saying you were wrong. I picked up on that. (laughs) Anyway. But maybe we should launch an investigation and find out who was really wrong. Incidentally, that is the title of next week's episode. Thank you for listening this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both podcasts on your podcast player of choice. Um, you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter. I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Zoidberg95. And you can also follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. Stopping. <laughs>